Okay. Look up. Look around. Look ahead. Is this some kind of exercise that people like me, sat in front of a computer screen, must do every day? No. It's a word I believe God has reminded me of as we come to ask the question, who is my neighbor? I, better, I think I'm in charge of the... There we are. Who is my neighbor? But in preparing for this, I thought, how can we come to look at the Good Samaritan without taking the opportunity to be that? The Tunisian beach massacre has been in the news, and it really touched me. So I wondered if we could just start with praying for those people. Heavenly Father, we look up to you and ask you for your mercy, your love, your compassion and wisdom for them and for us to know how to respond. We ask that you would bind up the brokenhearted, comfort those who mourn, and draw close to the relatives and friends of those who lost their lives. We pray especially for the family of the gunmen. They are in shock. They have lost a son, and they mourn the loss of the son that they thought they knew. We ask that you would bring your peace and your justice for them that you would rule and reign over the whole earth and your government would know no end. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So we've been looking at Luke and we're now coming, to look, coming back to look at the parables. And the first one is the Good Samaritan, which is quite a well-known parable. And we'll be looking at the story a little later. Uh, as I was preparing, I was talking with my friends at KST, and one of them said to me, Lynn, you're a good laugh. And I thought, actually, I'm not very good at pranks, and I'm not very good at humor, only accidentally. But he said, oh, I won't give away who it was, why don't you get an actor or somebody to sit on a park bench or to fall over on the canal path to see who stops? You could put a camera. And then, we, and I was thinking, oh, my word. I can think with one or two problems of that. And I, I thought, no. But in my heart, I thought, you know, it would be a real waste of time because I'm sure that if any of us would see somebody fall over or be attacked or be sitting there in need we would stop. And I really thought that. I think as I prepared, I've come to think a bit differently about the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'll tell you why later. But for now, who is my neighbor? New York is a huge place. It's like a diverse melting pot. It's not in any way like a dangerous place. You can find people from all over the world. It's just amazing to see so many different cultures and ethnic groups living in one city. In relative in relative peace and harmony, he goes on to say. These were ordinary New York people, as you saw in the video. They're on their way to work, going about their everyday lives. And like all of us, they will at some point have an opportunity to be a good Samaritan in some way at some point. But for now, let's look at the characters and actors in the story of the Good Samaritan itself. So who are the people in our story? Well, of course, there's Jesus. But this is Jesus of the movies as we see him. But I'll just start with the story. 
So Jesus had, uh, he, 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 uh, um, an expert of the law came up and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But a a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. So, here we have an expert in the law. And this guy really is an expert in the law. It's amazing what the internet can throw up when you search. He looks a nice guy, doesn't he? I think he looks like a nice guy. And in my heart, when I was preparing for the Samaritan, this story, I thought, I don't like the expert in the law. I don't like the Pharisee, and I don't like the Levite. I'm beginning to change. The man who was the lawyer, at least he showed Jesus courtesy. He stood up in a sign of respect for him, and yet he was trying to test him. He asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus points the lawyer back to his area of expertise. He's a subject matter expert in the law. So he says, well, what does the law say? It gave him a chance to redeem himself, maybe big himself up, I don't know. But nevertheless, I'm impressed that he answered correctly. And Jesus acknowledges that. What he says is very interesting. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And that's Deuteronomy 6.5. He could have said anything. He was, after all, an expert in the law. He had the whole of the Old Testament to choose from. He could have picked a Ten Commandment. He could have picked anything. And yet he chose to pick a passage about love. I wonder if he heard that Jesus had been speaking about love and wanted to test him out. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. But the guy wasn't humble and he wasn't teachable. He could have asked the Lord, how could I do this? It's impossible. How can I keep that law? How can I keep it? But no, he wasn't humble. He wanted to justify himself and wanted to get himself out of hot water. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? Next, we have a man left for dead, beaten and left for dead. Trust me, this is not the worst thing on the internet. I was quite shocked just looking for people who'd been victims of crime, how badly beaten people can be and how shocking it is. This man was left, uh, was beaten just for stealing a bike part. The man who was left for dead may have been beaten much worse. He might not have been recognizable. Perhaps even his skin wouldn't have been recognizable for the bruises or the beatings that he'd received. I don't know. The story doesn't say. 
But it wouldn't have been easy to see whether the man was dead or alive, to see whether he was still breathing. Stripped and naked, he would have had none of the usual social identifiers, the things that distinguish us one from each other, the clothes we wear, the jewellery, our accent, things that give away where we come from. He may not have had a in On sight, you might have not known what tribe or race he came from. So how would you know if he was your neighbour? This guy is the bishop, the Archbishop of Thyatira, and he's the nearest thing I could find to a priest. Uh, I typed in Jewish and priest, and then I remembered that Dan said last week that the temple had been destroyed, and I thought, aha, there isn't really a function for Levites and priests in quite that way anymore. In doing that, Jesus was saying that there's a new way to come into the Holy of Holies. The temple, the curtain was torn and a new way was opened. But as I was looking at this picture, I thought, what do you see when you think of the Levi in the story? What do you see? How do you imagine him? What would his countenance be like? How would he be to, be, to know him as a person? I wonder what your mental attributes are. I know what mine were. This guy is nearly a priest, he's a rabbi, and he has an amazing story. If you want to know who he is and look him up, he's well worth looking up. The priest in the story saw and passed by. And I've come to kind of empathize with the priest. Maybe he was afraid he would be attacked. The story indicates he was coming down the road, i.e. from Jerusalem. He might have been coming back from his turn in the temple, and if he had been defiled, he would have had to have gone back to the temple and waited at the east gate along with all of the other unclean people. That would be a bit humiliating for someone in his position. He was a man in the upper echelons of society and would likely have had a donkey, so he could have helped the person, but he would have been unclean. What would that have meant? It would have meant that he couldn't serve in the temple, couldn't receive tithes or eat them. So how would he feed his family? A Levite. Now trust me, this is the best picture I could find of a Levite. And that's not great because it's actually it's a waxwork dummy in some museum. And you find his picture all over the internet when you type for a Levite. Uh, Context is king, but you have to know, don't you? I always wanted to say context is king. That's the one thing that KST has taught me. (laughs) (laughs) So the Levite's coming back, and he also is coming down the road away from Jerusalem. But the road is a really long one, and you can see far, far ahead on it. So it's likely that he would have seen the priest pass by, and maybe he thought, He's more senior than me. If he can pass by, why can't I? And so he did. I don't know if that's what he thought. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. If somebody had seen them with a naked and wounded person, it's quite likely that they may or may not have been reported to the officials. And I think they may have have feared the social stigma of that. What I found interesting, though, is why Jesus had two people so similar. Why didn't he pick a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a lawyer or some other person? 
I really don't know. What I do know is he picked people that would really cause offense to the, to the audience listening to him. I also wonder if it's because in Jewish storytelling, the audience were meant to identify with the third character, the good Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by Jews. They were a mixed race, um, and they weren't Gentiles. They were bound by the same law as the Jews. And the Samaritan would not have been from that area, so the half-dead man certainly wouldn't qualify as his neighbor in all probability. The Samaritan put the man on his own donkey, got off, decided to walk, put the man on his donkey, took him to the inn, and there he put oil and wine on the man and anointed his wounds. And I wonder if Jesus was trying to call to us our attention, the parallel between the oil and the wine, the temple, the sacrifice, his death. If it was, I certainly thought when one part of us suffers, so does the rest of us. We are one body after all. If the Samaritan was found, he wouldn't just be accused, he would likely become subject to a blood revenge he would be chased and pursued and there were very there were towns throughout um, the country where people could flee as cities of refuge whether he would have got there in time we don't know perhaps that was in his mind I'm speculating because I'm trying to get my head into the role of each of these characters and I think it would be helpful if we did too you'll have your own questions I think it's true to say that we can behave irrationally and make retaliation and irrational judgments when the person involved is from a hated ethnic minority community. We see that in our own society in all kinds of ways. It doesn't take very far to pick that up, that people are questioned and subject to unjust behavior. The Samaritan rocks up at the inn, and in doing so, he forfeits his anonymity. Suddenly, he's a known character. Someone is going to remember him if the police or the equivalent ever turn up to interview him. Not only that, he stays overnight with the man, makes sure he's okay. And when it's time for him to leave, he gives some money. If the wounded man had had no money, when it was time for him to leave, if he couldn't have paid his debt he would have been arrested. So the Samaritan is giving thought to that. He coughs up two denarii, which is about two days' wages. And then he says, I'll come back. So he's not trying to run from blood revenge or uh, the authorities or anything else. He's making it very transparent, very plain, and he's providing for the man's every need and coming back partly to check if he's there. But what if the man had gone before he came back? He had no way of getting his money back, that's for sure. I think we have to assume that the Samaritan intended it as a gift. So what about our New Yorkers? Here's a New Yorker crossing a road. I wonder if he'll pass by. And then there's another man just walking down the road, an everyday man in his everyday life. 
Most people, when they think about the New York subway, then there's this culture of, you know, if it's not my problem, why should I bother? During that time, I was relatively new to the city, so I, I hadn't been on the trains long enough to actually see anything. But uh, what I saw that day really surprised me quite a lot. My best friend, my girlfriend, and another lady friend of ours, we were out celebrating the second night of Hanukkah. I was working at that time as a waiter. I was doing deliveries, and I was doing waiting at the same time. So it was really, you know, really tiring. I just wanted to go back home and, you know, get some sleep. And right off the bat, you know, there was just a group of people being loud and kind of rambunctious. I wasn't uh, particularly worried at the time first. And I, then, uh, you know, I thought that maybe, you know, fun bunch of kids being a little drunk, but I didn't really think that anything was really going to happen. We t were taking the Q train home, and when we got on the train, you know, we said that to the car, Happy Hanukkah. This loud group of people, when they heard, you know, him say Happy Hanukkah, they seemed to be offended by it. Their whole party was about 16 kids, uh, about eight guys and about six girls. One guy came across, and he said, that's when the Jews killed Jesus, and then the train doors closed. And he came, started showing off his tattoos, and they started cursing. You know, the first thing that happened was a lot of slurs, just hatred, and a lot of people wanting to fight. At that point, I was still, you know, hoping and thinking that nothing was really going to happen. What happened thereafter was a strike in the face. They started beating up Walter. And it was a big group of people just sitting there, like, watching this happen for about two minutes doing nothing. One of the male from their group actually came up to uh, Angelica. He spat in her face and he lifted up his hand like he was going to strike her. And at that point, something really snapped. And I was like, I can't let this happen. I went up and I grabbed him. Said, I was like, what the hell? Are you guys crazy? And six guys came and grabbed me and slammed me against the train wall. And then they started beating on me. Hassan getting involved allowed me to run to the back of the car and to yank an emergency brake. Now after that, the train went dark which really not only saved his life, but I think mine too. I was shocked that so many people could stand there and watch doing nothing. Suddenly, I thought, what would I do? And suddenly, I had less confidence that everybody on the way to church would help anybody. Anybody, any of us could be fearful, any of us could be in that situation where we're not the people we'd like to be. Any of us could be the people who we don't want to be. And any of us could be brutal. Some time ago, um, long before mobile phones were uh, invented, a woman was stranded on a hard, um, the hard shoulder of a motorway and she was murdered just meters in front of the breakdown services phone. At that time, I was um, uh, commuting between Salisbury and Southampton. And shortly after this story, I had a really vivid dream. In my dream, I was stranded in my car, and a man came to my car to offer me help. I wound down the window a bit, and he tried to show me a map. And I said I wasn't lost. And then he offered me a coffee. And then he offered me something else, and I declined, and I declined. And I really knew that what he was trying to do, I felt what he was trying to do is get into my car or get me out of the car. I was really scared. Um, eventually, I said, if you're a nice man, you'll go away and ring the breakdown services. And as only can happen in a dream, I reached under the seat of my car and pulled out a gun and said, and if you're a nasty man, I'll blow your head off.
I woke up. (laughs) But what shocked me was actually that I could have been that man. I could have killed a man. And it was only a dream. But in my dream, I really could have done it. And I looked for answers to myself because I thought, how can I tell whether someone's a murderer or a good Samaritan? How can I tell, looking around at myself and looking at us, what any of us would be capable of, what any of us would or wouldn't do when we're really afraid? I've got some sympathy now for the Samaritan. I've got sympathy for the Samaritan. Sure, he's the, he's the savior. He's the great one. But I also have sympathy for the priest and the Levite and the one who passed by. In that carriage there, there would have been a number of people. Unfortunately, it all got out of sync. So if it's going to get out of sync next time, maybe we can just play the video file and you'll see where it comes. But in that carriage, there might have been all of the characters represented in the Good Samaritan. There was the Good Samaritan, Hassan, a Muslim guy, a minority, sometimes hated, even in our own culture. It's not about a Jew and a and a Muslim or anything like that. It was about one human being helping another. I would also say by the law of averages that there'd be one of us, an evangelical, spirit-filled Christian. What didn't show, because it got out of sync, is that the car went dark, and it said that Hassan, having intervened, allowed Walter and get to pull the emergency brake. Who was sitting next to the emergency brake, and couldn't they have done it themselves? context. Maybe in a, in a culture where guns are the norm, maybe we would think twice too. Could you play the last video clip, please? The cops had really closed down the car and had us and the girls just start pointing to people that we thought were our assailants. When I first noticed Hassan was the police had him in handcuffs. When the officer put the handcuffs on me, I was, I was, I was just thinking, oh my God, now I'm gonna have to go to jail. This is my first three weeks in New York. What do I do? I told the police that it wasn't him. He tried to help us. And you know, then they took the cuffs off, and, but uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. I went to Long Island College Hospital. I had about like six stitches on my lip. They banged up most of my face. So who is our neighbor? Well, they all are. We've already talked about what we might or might not do. The fact is we really can't tell what we would do in any given situation. I hope that I would be the person I would want to be. I hope I would be the person that Jesus would want me to be. I hope that I would have that compassion that the Good Samaritan had. That word um, means to arise from the bowels. It's a deep, heartfelt compassion. It's only mentioned a few times in the New Testament, and it must be something very special. It was the compassion that Jesus felt when Lazarus had died. God give us that compassion so that we can put ourselves second. Nearly done. So the real question, I think, is not who is my neighbor. 
let's see if we can get it to go forward now. Nope. It's not who is my neighbor, but who am I being a neighbor to? Ordinary people living ordinary everyday lives. Who do we need to love, to forgive? To love and forgive is not to like, it's not to condone. That kind of love gives us grace to love the gunman, ISIS, or maybe someone even nearer to home who we find difficult to deal with. It doesn't dress itself up. It's naked. It's raceless. It's tribeless. It's regionless. It's every person. One of the, one of the um, clips I had had Hassan talking about, it was really interesting He just said, it's not about being a Muslim or a Jew. It's about the dignity that every person has, that you just do that because that's the way you were brought up. That's what we believe in. I'm on the very last slide, which is, where are we looking? We need to look again. We need to look up and look to you again, Lord. We need to look around us and see how Jesus sees. And we need to look far ahead down the road to see what's ahead and then what's next. And to see people not as they are now, but as they will be. And as they will be when we walk with them. Where are you going and where are you looking? And who are you being a neighbor to? Who am I being a neighbor to? Let's pray. Lord, we look up and we look to you again, Lord. Without you, loving those who we do not like is impossible. Help us to look around and see the people that you've put in our path, those that we must love, those that we must help, those whom we must be neighbors to. Lord, help us to look ahead and see not what is here, but what will be to look beyond, to see those around us as they are now and to see the road ahead and not pass by, not to cross over, not to pass by, but to see what you have in store for these strangers, our neighbours, if not our friends. Amen.